Hello, welcome to another episode of the Capital Employed Podcast. For this episode, we were joined by David Cornell, who is the Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer of India Capital Growth Fund, which is listed on the London Stock Exchange. In this episode, David talks about why India is such a compelling investment opportunity, his investment strategy, and why the fund likes to invest in small caps. He then talks us through his thesis for investing in two companies out of the many thousands listed in India. If you are thinking of investing in Indian equities, I think you'll really enjoy this episode. Before we begin, make sure to add your email to the Capital Employed email list. Every so often we publish exclusive interviews that are only available to those on the list. To receive these bonus episodes, visit capitalemployed.fm forward slash exclusive and add your email to the list. And if you listen to this podcast on the Apple Podcast Player, we would really appreciate it if you could leave a review as the feedback is extremely useful. Okay, let's get into this week's episode. Please enjoy my conversation with David. Hi, David. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Good morning. Thanks for having me, John. Can you provide an overview of the Indian Capital Growth Fund? Indian Capital Growth is a closed-ended investment trust uh, that trades on the main board of the London Stock Exchange. It invests in the mid and small cap space within the Indian stock market. So all the companies we own are listed on the Indian Stock Exchange. We run a very concentrated portfolio of around 33 to 35 stocks. Uh, We have a stock selection process that is bottoms up. Uh, All the stocks in the portfolio are there on their own merit. And they're selected through a a detailed research-driven process through our uh, investment team, which is based on the ground in Mumbai. The holding period for companies in the portfolio can be anywhere between uh, three and 10 years. So we have a very long-term approach. And we try and use the volatility uh, that the Indian stock market uh, inevitably brings to, to enter these companies at attractive prices, and then we we look to hold on to them over the long term. And why India? What makes the country such a compelling investment opportunity? That's a really good question. I mean, the first thing to say is that this is a trust that's compounded its net asset value at around 14.8% over the last 10 years or so since, since we took it over. So it's generated jolly good returns by any comparison. And a large part of that, almost all of that, I should say, comes from the opportunity that exists in India. So it's an enormous uh, market, huge number of listed companies. The stock market is well, uh, I'd say the economy is well represented within the stock market, which is quite unusual for emerging markets. So there's a huge range of investable sectors. It's not just commodities or just oil which is the case in, or just tech, which is in the case, case in some emerging economies. There's a broad representation in India. And of course, growth is abundant. Uh, we have a population of 1.3 billion people. 50% of them are under the age of 25. Uh, falling dependency ratio. And by that, I mean the number of working people per non-working people is very low. 
uh, by comparison to other emerging markets, particularly China and obviously to the Western world, where the number of working people to non-working people is rising all the time, which means you've got to save more for your retirement or save more for your family. In India, it's the opposite. There's more people joining the working population every month, which means there's um, incremental cash to spend on consumption. And India is the fastest growing large economy in the world. It's, it's uh, by the IMF forecasted to be growing at around 11% this year and about 7% next year. You know, it, it, the stars are falling into line, I would say. A lot of investable companies, a lot of growth opportunities, very high quality management, and an expectation that the economy can continue to grow at that level for, for, for a long time to come. And um, yeah, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's around over 7,000 listed companies in India. I think that's on the, the NSC and uh, the Bombay Stock Exchange as well. Uh, that's a huge amount. Um, how do you actually drill down? There are certainly a huge number of, of, of listed companies. A part of that is a legacy issue where a lot of companies listed um, were forced to list uh, in, the, in the socialist era of the 50s and 60s. A lot of Multinational corporations are still listed in Mumbai, Procter & Gamble, Castrol, brand names that you probably haven't heard for a long time that still have a listing in India. So, so there's a sort of legacy reason why. But so India also, the Bombay Stock Exchange, the Mumbai Stock Exchange is the second oldest exchange in Asia. So there's been a, a trading floor in India for, for, for many you know, generations. We obviously have a job to filter those companies down into an investable universe and from an investable universe down into a portfolio. We have an investable universe, which we call the House of Ocean Dial. Uh, Ocean Dial is the management company that runs India Capital Growth. And the House of Ocean Dial is an investable universe of around 140 companies. Those companies are selected through a sort of combination of qualitative and quantitative factors through an investment committee. So the investment committee sits around the table and we We've actually filtered it down from, from 900 to around 140. So the, the 7,000, you can knock a lot of those out because of their uh, lack of liquidity, small size. You can knock a lot out because of corporate governance issues, you know, excessive family ownership stakes. So a lot get filtered out very quickly. And we take it from 900 down to 140 through this investment committee process. And the 140 forms the House of Ocean Dial, which is our investable universe. And it's very simply, you know, would you be happy to invite this person or invite this company into your house? Does it meet the sort of basic uh, criteria around um, governance, around returns, around profitability, around long-term sustainability of the business model? Uh, and then from that 140, each analyst, and we have six, uh, takes ownership of around 25 to 30 stocks. And from that 140, we select the portfolio. Okay. I love that name, by the way, the House of Ocean Dial. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one, isn't it? The Hood. And actually, we do a, we have a Hood series. So we do Hood Nars, uh, which are webinars talking about our process, and Hoodcasts, which are podcasts, and Hood Fests which are our kind of annual conferences. And so there's quite a lot going on on the Hood series, actually, which you should take a look at. Okay, that's great. So at that 140 businesses, are there any industries you'll focus on or specific kind of business models or any characteristics you're looking for? So there are, um, but maybe to put it a different way, there are certain sectors that we 
don't focus on. Uh, we try and avoid areas of the economy which we find particularly difficult to understand. Areas of the healthcare sector. Uh, India has a huge um, generic pharmaceutical manufacturing uh, industry. And a lot of those formulations and active pharmaceutical ingredients are complicated, difficult to comprehend unless you have the science behind you. Very often the business models are quite lumpy because if a, a company wins a first-to-file action, uh, they get exclusivity to sell that drug for you know a period of time. You can have windfall profits. Uh, you never know quite whether the company is going to win that first file or not. So there's a lot of volatility around that, which we don't like. Difficult sector to understand. Doesn't mean we don't invest in healthcare in some areas, but we stay away from some of the more complicated areas. Areas of the economy where there's a, what we call a lack of transparency. Sectors like infrastructure, for example, which in theory ought to be a very obvious place to invest because India's infrastructure needs a lot of growth, a lot of investment in it. But we find it opaque in terms of understanding uh, how some of these contracts are are awarded. Uh, There's a lot of balance sheet risk because companies need to take on a lot of debt to fulfill the contract. And you never quite know how these contracts uh, have been negotiated and where the true value lies. So we try and stay away from from those kind of um, companies, companies where you think there's risk from excessive government intervention. And we're building and we have in place now an ESG screening process also that that aims to try and filter out companies from a non-financial perspective. So that's quite a, a kind of heavy list. Companies we, we, we like to invest in, we can, you know, there's, there's very obvious places such as the consumer, where we I mentioned earlier that this dependency ratio is falling, rising incomes per capita, rising incomes per household in theory over the next 15 to 20 years, uh, and a huge demographic to tap into. Financials, the intermediation of financial products into Uh, into the economy is at a very early stage. I'm talking about mortgages, credit cards, personal loans, insurance products. These kind of things are underpenetrated. And so we see uh, a natural propensity for consumers to gravitate towards those as savings move into the formal system. And other areas which also excite us, some areas of, of soft commodities in the agricultural space, for example, some industrials. We've got an interesting exposure to ceramic manufacturer, uh, to some auto component manufacturers, uh, and areas where India is winning market share from China, particularly, is a point we're trying to focus on. What attracts you to that small cap space? And do you find it quite inefficient? And do you find many quality companies selling at good prices? So it's a really good question. The, the mandate for the trust is actually mid and small cap. So that is the area that we select. And uh, a small cap, just so you know, we define as a company with a market cap of less than a billion sterling. And a, a mid cap is a company with a market cap of less than 7 billion. So it's still quite a large addressable group, I would say. The interesting thing about the sector is that we are very active stock pickers. We are a, an active manager that looks for under-researched ideas, looks for a value that hasn't been recognized by the market, looks for management teams where we think 
the market hasn't fully recognized the, the, the quality of the management team or indeed has some doubt about the execution and implementation capability. And you see a lot of that in mid and small cap India. India has a huge entrepreneurial bench strength, I would say. If you think about global companies, many of them are run by persons of Indian origin or Indian non-resident Indians. I'm talking about Google, Microsoft, Qualcomm. You know, there's a huge range, both in Silicon Valley, both on Wall Street, consumer companies. So, so there's a huge entrepreneurial talent. And we're at a stage now where a lot of the second and third generation entrepreneurs are coming back from uh, doing their business degrees in, in the US or in the UK and are adopting a slightly different mentality to their fathers and grandfathers. By that, I mean what they're beginning to realize and recognize is that the way to create value for the family is to increase the, the multiple on which the stock is traded by demonstrating good corporate governance and, uh, and interest for, for minority shareholders. And that's a win-win for everybody. And we see a lot of change and a lot of, of incremental delta coming from mid and small cap in that kind of area. So if we get it right, we get the best part of the earnings growth that India offers on top of a multiple re-rating if you can find these small and mid-cap companies that are going through that change. So it's a happy hunting ground. And the last thing I'd say is, you know, the large cap space in India offers uh, opportunities as well. But we find that's quite heavily covered by the market globally. And it's a lot harder to add value as an active manager in companies which are heavily researched, heavily understood, uh, and where the, you know, the index trackers tend to, uh, to own large large amounts of stock. So we try and differentiate ourselves by, by kind of investing really in the engine room of India rather than in the kind of companies that everyone knows and you know, tend to generate a large percentage of their revenues from overseas. And so can you talk through two of the stocks you own that you feel have really good long-term potential? And what was the thesis for investing? Yeah, I'd love to. So one of the themes we've got in the portfolio is what we call the China plus one theme. And very simply put, we, we understand as that multinational corporations globally are taking stock of their supply chain risk through China, and not least because of the ongoing and long kind of battle between the US and, and China in the Trump era, to some extent fast-tracked by the pandemic. Multinationals are looking to, to de-risk their supply chain from India and uh, from China, big pardon. And India is well-placed to benefit from that. Uh, and we see uh, in certain sectors in India their competitive position vis-a-vis some other emerging markets like Vietnam improving. And the Indian government is very focused on trying to reduce the level of imported components from China and to, to promote domestic manufacturing. And this is a theme that we're playing across the portfolio. But in one particular instance, it's a company called Dixon Technology, which is an electrical manufacturer. It manufactures consumer durable brands such as LED lighting, washing machines, TVs. It does it for multinational corporations. It does it for uh, domestic OEMs. Uh, and it's an outsourced equipment manufacturer in the, te- in the electrical space. And there's really three or four themes that we're playing here. One is that, that as I mentioned, the Indian government is keen to reduce the imported component of consumer durables from China. And there's a uh, a number of um, incentive schemes that the government is offering companies to, to to manufacture more domestically. Dixon is uh, is winning 
big market share because of that. There's a huge appetite for demand for electrical equipment in India, as you can imagine, uh, as that um, dependency ratio falls and as rising income per capita uh, increases purchasing power, it's very natural to assume the mobile telephone, the TV, the air conditioner, the washing machine becomes a key part of everyone's home. And so Dixon is kind of well-placed to benefit from that. And a lot of multinationals are shifting a manufacturing capacity away from China and into India and using Dixon uh, as an outsourcing agent for that. So Samsung, Panasonic, companies like that. And we like that because if Panasonic and Samsung have done their due diligence on Dixon, uh, they will have done been able to do it in a lot more detail than we are able to do it. And therefore, we get a certain level of comfort that, um, uh, that Dixon is kind of a business we would want to invest in for the long term. And we see India's manufacturing capability improving over time. And we think Dixon is a great play on that long-term trend. Okay, that's great. And, and how about another stock that you, you're very bullish on for the long term? So a company we've recently invested in, I think we bought it in June of this year, is a company called Sona, uh, BLW Precision. It's an uh, auto component manufacturer. It, it's come to the market recently in an IPO. We didn't buy it at the IPO. We bought it after that. But Blackstone, the big private equity uh, company, sold a stake of this to the market. It has two divisions. It's an auto component manufacturer that manufactures uh, differential assemblies and differential gears for, for the auto companies, as well as, um, and particularly uh, for electric vehicles. So it's a play on the EV space. Technologically quite advanced. It's kind of in-house design of its auto component of the drive assemblies and the gear assemblies for EVs and particularly Tesla is very specialized. In fact, it's interesting because it is a sole supplier to Tesla China for its uh, differential assemblies and its driveline gears. So very specialist. It has these electric vehicles have quite high torque requirements because of the, uh, of the nature of the, uh, of the electric vehicle and uh, Sony is able to be a precision manufacturer in that regard. So it's a play on, on the growth of electric vehicles. It's a play on low-cost manufacturing. And it's a play on this kind of shift away from China and into India. In fact, it's interesting that this is an Indian manufacturer selling into China rather than the other way around. And a relatively small market capitalized company. Okay, that's great. Yeah, thanks for sharing those two. Where can listeners go to find out more information about the fund? So we've got a website which has recently been refreshed, indiacapitalgrowth.com. And you can go onto the website. There's a lot of uh, content on there uh, of material that we've uh, written or that we've um, recorded. Uh, We aim to be as transparent as we can. So we talk a lot about stocks that we own. Uh, and the reasons why we like them. We write about a lot of stuff that we think is important. You can sign up to listen to web webinars and podcasts. You can sign up to receive monthly fact sheets. You know, there's a lot of good information there. So I would recommend that people go to that website and have a look. And then you can always get in touch with us directly through the website if there's specific issues and questions you want to, to ask. Thanks so much for coming on to the show. It's been a, been a pleasure to listen to you. Not at all, John. Thank you very much for having me. And, and, um, and I look forward to, to catching up with you again in due course.